Welcome to the Informed Discussions podcast, where we discuss the latest economic, demographic, and public policy research that is helping Utah prosper. I'm Nick Theriot, Communications Director at the Gardner Institute. Today, we're discussing the results of months of work by the newly formed Great Salt Lake Strike Team. We are joined by Gardner Institute Public Policy Analyst Eric Albers, who has helped staff and support the effort. So let's get started. Declining water levels of Great Salt Lake threaten economic activity, local public health, and ecosystems. The situation requires urgent action. Fortunately, science provides crucial perspective, understanding, and scenarios for policymakers to chart a path forward. Many policy levers can help return the lake to healthy levels. Utah's research universities formed the Great Salt Lake Strike Team to provide a primary point of contact for policymakers as they address the economic, health, and ecological challenges created by the record low elevation of Great Salt Lake. Together with state agency professionals, the strike team brings together experts in public policy, hydrology, water management, climatology, and dust to provide impartial, data-informed, and solution-oriented support to Utah decision-makers. While the strike team does not advocate, it does function in a technical policy advisory role as a service to the state. So Eric, let's start at the beginning. What are the origins of the Great Salt Lake Strike Team and, and who is a part of it? The origins of the strike team really go back to a trip that uh, President Taylor Randall took in 2022. And, and he traveled across the state um, meeting meeting with people really from the southeast to the southwest, central Utah. But he uh, went to Farmington Bay and he actually met with some legislatures. He met legislators, rather. He met with President of the Senate, Stuart Adams, um, Speaker of the House, Brad Wilson, and he gained a deeper understanding of the complexity of the issues surrounding Great Salt Lake and, and really the urgency of the issue. One of the things that President Randall realized is that uh, no one institution or state agency really had all of the expertise to um, address this issue comprehensively. And so he saw an opportunity to bring together uh, Utah's research institutions, being the University of Utah and Utah State University, as well as some of the state agencies, the Department of Natural Resources and Department of Agriculture and Food. Um, and, and within these individual institutions, there are experts in hydrology, climatology, public policy, water management, dust and other areas. And together, all of those individual groups um, can really uh, make a lot of headway on, on research on, on Great Salt Lake. That's great. And so how are these members selected? What do they each bring to the table and what was the criteria? So initially, some co-chairs were selected from each of the institutions I talked about, University of Utah, Utah State University, DNR, and, and UDAF. And these co-chairs brought together the relevant experts within their own institutions. Um, and, and individuals and experts were really added as needed. But there was also a goal to keep the, the size of this group rather small. In total, there were 22 individuals um, who, who worked together on this, um, which really allowed the group to be nimble and, and quickly generate this research and, and get consensus on a lot of these issues. So given all that, now let's talk about the assessment itself, what this group developed. This research is the strike team's first publication. There are three main sections to it. Let's talk about that first section, an explanation of, 
of how we arrived at where we're at in terms of record low elevation with the lake. Talk about that first point. Sure. Yeah, so I think the top line findings of this section um, would be first, water available in the Great Salt Lake Basin has not been decreasing over time. But given that, stream flow to the lake has actually been declining. And uh, there, there are a couple reasons for this. So first of all, uh, we see increased evaporation lately from, from warming in, in northern Utah. Um, in addition to that, we see natural variability. Right now we're in, in the middle of this persistent multi-decade drought. And additionally, we have human water use that's depleting water in these streams and, and preventing it from making it to, to Great Salt Lake ultimately. So ultimately, the only area where we can make immediate progress is on human water use. We can't really address those other things like the persistent multi-decade drought and, and climate variability. Um, and, and this section also explores future climate scenarios in northern Utah. So some work by Courtney Strong up at the University of Utah averages together 30 of the top global climate models and really applies it to northern Utah. And what this research finds is that we're expected to see higher pre precipitation in the future, which is kind of a, a surprising finding. Um, however, we're, we're also expecting to see higher temperatures. And uh, this is going to lead to higher evaporation in the future, most likely fully offsetting any gains that we get from, from precipitation. Right. So it's a wash then is what you're saying. Yeah. Right? With higher temperatures, but higher precipitation, we don't expect to see much there. Exactly. Second section provides data so that policymakers can set a target like elevation range. What does that entail exactly? And what, uh, what, what specifically were they, were they addressing to policymakers in the assessment? Sure. So in this section, we really wanted to provide the best data. We didn't necessarily want to prescribe a specific lake elevation. We were, were leaving that up to policymakers. So we relied on the best data here, which is coming from the Division of Forestry, Fire, and State Lands. And they developed this really wonderful Great Salt Lake elevation matrix. And it essentially evaluates all of these different lake elevations on myriad dimensions um, from human, ecological, and, and economic health. Um, and, and we just presented this data in, in kind of a new way in this report. And then building on these different um, potential lake elevation targets that, that policymakers could select, um, we did some modeling to essentially answer the question, if, if we take, for example, a, a target range of 4,195 feet, how much conservation are we going to need to fill the lake back up to that level? And it's it's a pretty complicated analysis, but we've we've tried to really simplify things in this section and, and present as much information as we can. So this discussion on lake elevation targets and required conservation then segues into the final section, exploring most relevant and most often proposed policy options. So the assessment, of course, provides objective analysis of 11 total options, included uh, of course, some that are less feasible, others that are controversial, but uh, many that will be very effective in the end. So what uh, what exactly are we talking about when these with these 11 options and what do they include? Yeah, so the the goal of this final section is to, as you said, really look at the the most often talked about policy options is, is one way that we're phrasing it. And like you said, there, there are some things that are more controversial in here, things, policy options that are, are probably going to be a little bit more effective. And our goal was to pr provide objective analysis here and, and essentially provide apples to apples comparison. Um, and we've essentially broken these down into three separate sections. The first would be conservation policy options. 
Um, so within this conservation section, we have um, an option of, of committing conserved water to Great Salt Lake. And this is also known as water shepherding. And we actually really see this as a, a kind of foundational policy option for all of our other conservation um, policy options. Additionally, um, another policy option in this section is optimizing agricultural water. And this is a really big one just because so much water use in northern Utah is coming from agriculture. So we've looked at different ways that we can conserve water and, and really optimize uh, the way that, that agriculture uses water. Um, similar to that, we looked at optimizing municipal and industrial water use. So this is water use occurring in our cities. This is watering our lawns. How can we be smarter about the water that we use um, in, in northern Utah cities? We've also looked at ways to limit municipal and industrial growth um, moving forward um, and also utilizing water banking and leasing. Another option in the conservation realm is conducting active forest management in Great Salt Lake headwaters. Then our next section um, talks about ways that we can bring in new water to the basin. So there are a couple options here. One would be importing water, and specifically we looked at the, um, the option to import via a pipeline from the Pacific Ocean. And we also looked at increasing water precipitation with cloud seeding. So Eric, just real quick. Break down the Pacific Pipeline for us real quick, because this is obviously something that's controversial, but uh, it's gotten a little bit more traction in the media as of late. Um, you know, it was a, sort of a pie in the sky idea not too long ago. And um, as things kind of became more dire, so to speak, with the lake, it kind of became more mainstream in a sense to talk about it. Um, sure. But uh, real quick, the, the, the assessment, of course, breaks down kind of in its grading scale that, yes, it would bring water to the lake, but over the course of uh, you know, too many years, too many dollars. Uh, can you break down those numbers real quick for, for those who are interested, simply because this is, like I said, this has been getting some attention and uh, I think it's worth maybe expanding on a little bit. Absolutely. And and just to be clear, we're, we're steering away from any recommendations in this section. We're not sure. saying that the legislature should or shouldn't adopt specific policy right. options. It's, it's simply something that's been brought yeah. up. Yeah. But with this one, it, it would be incredibly expensive. Some of the estimates um, that, that we've looked at are in the realm of $100 billion just to, to construct the pipeline. It would have to go through likely some major residential areas coming from the Pacific to Great Salt Lake. Uh, and then in addition, you'd likely need pretty large desalination plants. So time and money involved in this um, compared to the amount of water that could be brought, you know, to address this, this really acute and time sensitive issue. Um, it's yeah, it, it was it was a fun option to look at. So, Eric, continue down the list here for us. What other options uh, did the assessment take a look at? So there were two other options that we considered, and these are kind of in the, the category that we called engineering solutions. Um, the first one would be raising the causeway berm. So currently there is uh, a railroad that's bisecting the north and south arm of, of Great Salt Lake, and it has what's known as this adaptive management berm that could be raised or lower to control flows between the north and south arms. Um, and this is a, a really interesting policy option. Um, because all of the major freshwater inflows actually go into the south arm. So if you raise the level of this berm, you can essentially raise the levels, the elevation levels in the south arm and keep down elevations in the north arm. Um, and, and a lot of 
more acute problems are, are being felt in the south arm, whether it's um, dust, whether it's brine shrimp viability. There are a lot of reasons why this might make sense. So we kind of walk through pros and cons of, of this, this potential um, policy option. And then our final option is mitigating dust and uh, specifically looking at these major dust transmission hotspots. So Eric, talk about the dust a little bit. We've heard a lot in the store in the in the uh, in the media lately. The, the word magnesium gets thrown around. Arsenic. Uh, this has gotten national attention uh, in terms of what's being given off uh, in the lake or what's in the surrounding areas in the lake bed. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Not not we're, again. Not recommending anything. Not uh, you know advocating one way or the other. It's just uh, you know a fact that this is what's in the lake and uh, with the drying up, this is what's getting kicked up. Can you talk, just expand a little bit more on what, what we're talking about when we when we talk dust? Sure, yeah, I, I think there are definitely some some things to be concerned about when we, we talk about dust. And the University of Utah's researcher, Kevin Perry's um, kind of the expert in this field and has, has been our, our primary um, source of information. And, and one of the places that we can look, especially when we're looking about policy options, is looking out to California in, in the Owens Dry Lake bed. And, and they've had to spend a, a significant amount of money uh, mitigating these dust hotspots. So it's it one kind of provides the model for how we could mitigate these dust hotspots, but it's it also serves as a warning um, looking forward. If, if the lake gets to a, a worse potential level, we might be looking at really significant, costly um, uh, policy options to mitigate this dust. So, Eric, given all this, my final question is this. There have been varying estimates on when Great Salt Lake may essentially dry up. And while the strike team, as we've mentioned, doesn't advocate for any specific policy, it does recognize that immediate action is required. So what is the final call to action presented by this document and this group of experts? What are the main takeaways policymakers, community leaders, and really all Utahns should have from this research? So first of all, the strike team didn't really want to start evaluating individual estimates by different groups on and when the may the, the lake may or may not dry up. Um, and again, these have ranged from a low of five years that we've heard about a lot recently to others as high as 15 or 20 years. And our group really saw that regardless of these estimates, immediate actions needed, like you said, uh, the lake is in crisis and, and we need to adopt policy options immediately to, to address these issues. On the second part of your question, Nick, uh, the Great Salt Lake Strike Team has six takeaway recommendations for policymakers and, and water managers. Again, these aren't the specific policy options. We're not recommending any specific options or groups of options, but we do have several takeaways that we recommend. The first would be leveraging wet years. Um, and we talk a lot about variability in the report, how we've been going through this persistent drought. And leveraging wet years like the one we're currently going through is going to be a, a really important policy option moving forward. Second, we want to set uh, recommend that, that policymakers set a lake elevation range goal. And again, we're not advocating any specific range. Um, we've just provided the data in the report for policymakers to, to select that range goal on their own. Next, we think significant uh, investment in conservation is needed. Furthermore, we recommend increased investment in water monitoring and modeling. Um, I, I think a lot of the data that we have could, could really be improved, um, especially when we look at the, the timeliness of, of some of the data on, on Great Salt Lake. Additionally, we recommend developing a holistic long-term water resource plan for the Great Salt Lake watershed. 
And also we um, recommend requesting in-depth analysis on specific policy options from the Great Salt Lake Strike Team. So this is work that we will continue to do in the future. Um, all of the policy options that we've laid out here in this report, they're just one page overviews. And, and uh, so we, we really request that the legislature comes back and, and um, asks our group to look into these more deeply and, and um, evaluate specific options that, that they may want to pursue. So bottom line, immediate action required. Lots of work ahead, but this is certainly a terrific start. So Eric, thanks so much and for all you're doing and for all this great work. Thanks so much, Nick. It was great to talk to you today. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks to Eric for joining us today. All of the great Salt Lake Strike Team materials and information can be found online at gardner.utah.edu. And as always, thanks for listening to the Informed Discussions podcast from the University of Utah's Kim C. Gardner Policy Institute at the David Eccles School of Business.